Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to venture off and say that if you've been in church or ministry for any length of time, you've probably heard this passage read before or even recited from memory to encourage the saints. And never was it more on time than when Paul penned these words to the Galatians. There was division in the body of Galatia. They had been infiltrated by Judaizers who sought to discredit Paul and distort the gospel. They were teaching some dangerous mix of faith and works by obedience to the law of Moses, namely circumcision. Some believers were even deserting the gospel altogether. And others falling subject to this division that came as a result of this distorted gospel. The apostle Peter had removed himself from fellowship with the Gentile Christians. And Paul seen this action as a threat. Not only to the gospel, but to the truth of faith, by justifi- uh, justification by faith alone. Unity in Christ is through faith, not through works. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 could be considered one of the most important verses in the Bible. You may not agree with that, and that's all right, because the Bible is full of carefully crafted faith statements that we hide in our hearts and meditate on as pillars of truth. Yet we may find ourselves in one accord if it were to be said that Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 could be considered a Christian motto of sorts. If someone were to ask you, Why are you a Christian? You could simply respond with the words of verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Many individuals, families, ministries, they have a motto or a mission statement. And if you were to inquire about the EPC teen ministry, you'd find that to be true as well. In our About EPC Teen document, you'll find these words recorded. The EPC teen ministry exists to partner with families as a discipling fellowship that points youth to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our goal is for teens to experience the gift of salvation, engage in the work of holiness and Embark on a life of faithful service to God and other believers while establishing life-changing relationships with unbelievers. In short, the ministry and the families connected to it, we desire for our teens to be faithfully devoted. And for the time that we have this evening, I want to discuss what the marks of faithful devotion are according to Galatians 2.20. 
The first mark of someone who's faithfully devoted is that they, are, they have experienced the gift of salvation. They have been freed from God's judgment. God's law is perfect and it requires perfection. Absolute righteousness is the standard. But why did God give us the law? Romans 5.20 reveals the purpose of the law. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law was introduced to expose sin and to highlight the sin in our lives. That we may see our true need for a savior. Reliance on works of the law for salvation is not faithful devotion. It is being hopelessly devoted. If we rely on works of the law, we bear the weight of the law's curse. Paul wrote further in his letter, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, I knew I was preaching at East Point Church this evening, so I did a study, etymological study of the word all. And you know what all means in the Greek? All. <laughs> you must do all of the law. You miss one, you miss it all. And so the Jews knew exactly what Paul meant by this statement. They had seen what happens to following the law and trying to be righteous on your own merit alone. He even quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26 to confirm the truth he was conveying. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Let the church say, Amen. Righteousness under the law, on your own merit, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Only Christ could meet the law's standard. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Again, Paul quotes the Old Testament, but this time, Deuteronomy 21, 23. A hanged man is cursed by God. This only added to the evidence of his claim that Jesus satisfied God. Christ bore the weight of the law's curse, and he came out on the other side. Therefore, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Hmm. It was as if Paul was saying, I have a death sentence. I can't meet the perfect standard of God, but Christ did, and I believe that. I believe Jesus. In the words of Jaquel Crow, teenage author, Christian, this changes everything. Through faith, Christ's righteousness is credited to our account judicially. Justification by faith is a legal reality. It's a courtroom setting. The Heavenly Father sits at his heavenly judicial desk with gavel in hand, ready to hand out eternal life sentences to all who have been found guilty before him. And there we stand, found wanting. The observers in the courtroom gasp at the crimes we've committed against God. 
We don't stand a chance. Yet, by faith, we've secured Christ as our substitute. The Son of God then presents himself instead of us in front of God's judgment seat, and he declares us not guilty. He declares us righteous before himself, but not because of anything we've done, but because of the sinless life and sin-defeating death of Christ our Lord. In other words, when Christ died, so did I. I died to the law. I died to death. I died to sin. I died to the consequence of sin. There's no more anxiety, disgust, doubt, fear, guilt, shame, or worry. All have been nailed to the cross with Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. Christ did the heavy lifting, and he requires faith and belief in him. The crucifixion is a physical reality for Jesus, but it was a spiritual reality for us. And you know what the the good thing about this spiritual reality is? We get all the benefit without the upfront cost. Jesus paid the price, but he didn't pay it with gold or silver. He paid it with priceless currency. 1 Peter 1.19, we've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. A proper understanding of the experience of salvation will lead the faithfully devoted to realize that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the second mark of the faithfully devoted. They engage in the work of holiness. Insert Pastor Carter's message right here. (laughs) I say that kidding, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Being made holy? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Worship takes place in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Christ has taken up residence in you. Unity with Christ continues beyond his death to a spirit-filled life that makes us holy. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you was holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We've been upgraded. We have a new software. We no longer operate on the WPS, the World Passion System. But now we run on GPS, God's purifying system. Holy Spirit is our new software, but it requires the right input, which is God's truth, his word. That was Jesus' petition, one of which in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Holy Spirit is our great helper, our teacher, and reminds us of all things Christ has taught us. But family, 
He can't recall what we haven't studied at all. Bathe in the word. Hide it in your hearts. Listen to it. Read it to your children. Read it to your parents. Read it with your friends, your spouse. Holy Spirit's job is to make us holy, and it's our responsibility to engage in the work. The ability to engage in the work of holiness is in itself a sign of new life. And so Paul writes, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. The third mark of someone who is faithfully devoted is that with their new life, they embark on a life of service to God and to other believers. There's life and then there's new life. Life began with Adam. New life has been ushered in by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This new life isn't some mystical reality or so ethereal that it does us no practical good lived out. It's life lived in the flesh, ordinary living day-to-day living that resists sin and bears fruit. Galatians 5.17 describes life in the flesh for us. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Inside our hearts, lies the seed to every evil imaginable. And the spirit declares war against the evil within us. Christians live under a constant tension between flesh and faith, sin and fruit. When Caleb misuses his phone or stresses his voice in my house, I could hang him from a tree. Or I could exercise forgiveness call for repentance and show him how we show love to one another. When I get cut off on the 400 or have a gun pulled on me in traffic, which has happened, I could encourage violence or I could do everything I can to keep the peace. Flesh, fruit. Life in the flesh is service. It's worship to God in every aspect of our lives. And this new life is lived in flesh, but also by faith in the spirit of Christ within us. What is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if not shared with the body of believers? You've been in the office, right? Someone receives an edible arrangement, (laughs) the fruit, And uh, someone brings it down the the aisle, and it is beautiful. And once they get to their desk, what does everyone in the cubicles around them do? They flock to the fruit. And if allowed to, they're made to enjoy it with the person who was the recipient of the arrangement. uh, Spiritual fruit shared in relationship bolsters the unity in Christ. It's easy to be divided. We do that naturally. 
We make categories for our categories to divide ourselves. It takes work to be in unity and fellowship with the saints. To get to know someone long enough to love them truly. To be vulnerable enough to let someone know you. To stick through the disagreements and tough conversations and life lessons. But, but isn't this relationship? Our relationship with one another is a result of our relationship with Christ, which changed our lives. And so Paul writes, the son of God is who I have faith in because he loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, lastly, the faithfully devoted established life-changing relationships with unbelievers. Jesus set the example. He showed compassion to the hurting. He healed the sick. He called sinners to follow him and learn from him and experience rest for their souls available in him. And ultimately, he showed us the greatest gift of love. John 15, 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' relationship with Paul changed his life. He testifies in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 14, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here Paul stands completely unworthy of grace, completely unworthy of mercy, yet through Christ's love, he receives what he did not deserve. And this love that, Christ, that Paul received caused him to dedicate his life to service and to advancing the gospel. Isn't this what God has done for us? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what marks us out from the world. We have the love of Christ. And that love is our calling card to the world. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world may suppress the truth of God. They may trade the truth in for a lie. They may even try to find fulfillment in philosophies and relationships, knowledge, wealth, and the like. But without the love of Christ, without union with him, they are lost to this world and the one to come. Faithfully devoted Christians extend their hand to the lost as Christ did. Inviting them to experience true love only found in Jesus. And pray that they will be forever changed. That they will be faithfully devoted. I'm done. But family... The attacks on our faith did not originate or terminate in Galatia. There are persons right now seeking to distort the gospel truth, deconstructing their faith, teaching their own dangerous mixes. The gospel is God's testimony, and he gave it to us so that we would be eternally reconciled to him. It's God's heavenly good news. It originated with God and has been fulfilled by God, Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel. Through him, through faith, 
we have union and peace with God. The greatest benefit of the gospel is God himself. He pardons us, makes us holy, gives us the power to serve him and the saints while inviting the world to believe in his son that they may experience his peace as surpasses all understanding. Pray with me.